All right, the scripture today is from Philippians 4 through 9. I'll give you a chance to get that. I think it'll be up on the board also. Okay, sweet. And it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So word of the Lord. Thank you, Brandon. Good stuff. Good stuff. Ah, well, Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. Uh, and uh, is anybody still yet to put their tree up? He asked, real tree, fake tree. Anybody still holding out? You know, it's, I mean, come on now, it's December 5th. I had to get my Christmas lights up. Everyone's like, get out there, or Christmas will be over before we even get the lights outside. Uh, if you go by our house, you can see our giant inflatable reindeer and wiener dog. Uh, tell April how much you love those things, because she does not. <laughs> my kids love it, and I thank my dad and stepmom for embarrassing my wife's front yard. Ah, so, it's good stuff. Uh, Merry Christmas. It, it, I'm excited to be here in person, online. It's just good to be here uh, in the Christmas season. Christmas is always just, uh, it's fun, it's warm, it's cozy, right? You get your Christmas tree up, your lights up. I mean, even just having this right here, it's just, I feel a little coziness in, 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 in this season. And this Christmas, we're looking at this idea of missing peace. We're celebrating the arrival of Jesus and him being the Prince of Peace, and yet in the holiday season, how many of you characterize it as peaceful? Less hands. Not, not as many hands, right? Uh, it's, it's not always a peaceful time, and we wouldn't always see this huge raising of hands if I said, how many of you feel at peace right now, right? Just like, yeah, no, we need the peace of Jesus. We need to focus on it for a moment, because my prayer is that we experience the peace of Jesus, not just this Christmas season, but but ongoing, because Jesus came to bring peace. Last week, we kicked off the series, and Josh talked about how Jesus brought peace between us and God, that there's this wall of hostility that sin creates that divides us from the Creator. And Jesus came to bring a peace that would, one, destroy that wall that separates us, but bring a peace, a reconciliation between us and the Creator. Next week, we're looking at living a lifestyle of peace, as you're out there at Walmart and, and, and at Christmas parties and at work and all of these things and you're in traffic riding the boulevard, you know, I love Saturday at Costco, right? You need a lifestyle of peace this season. Burlington Boulevard's crazy on the weekends. Just avoid it. It's just terrible, right? And we know all the back roads. Anyways, still bad. But before we can focus on a lifestyle of peace with other people, we had to establish a peace with God, and then we have to think about what we're talking about today, which is a peace within ourselves, a true peace of mind. And I think about peace of mind, and it's kind of this, this uh, ethereal idea that it's like, it's almost like flying a kite. Now, I have a prop over here. How many of you remember times flying kites 
when you were a kid or you have kids or grandkids, right? Flying a kite. You like this beautiful butterfly kite that I found in my basement, right? This does fly, believe it or not. It will fly, but flying a kite, you would think is easy because it's supposed to be a kid's activity. Like they're made for children. But how many of you know flying a kite is not easy, right? Flying a kite is very difficult. We got these kites for our kids, and then we went over to Maven Park just across the street here, and we went there, and every time it was just kerplunk, kerplunk, you know? And then after a good 30, 45 minutes and uh, enough screaming from dad and, and guilt trips and trying to get the tension just right and running and, and sweating and maybe some swearing, uh, we walked home just with such joy for not flying a kite. Flying a kite should be easy, but it's very difficult. And when we were at Maven Park, what we realized is there's, there's this whole wall of trees that blocked the wind. There's lines, and you know, sometimes when you go out to fly a kite, there's power lines and trees and a tennis court getting in the way and other obstructions. And what you realize about flying a kite is you've got to have just the right tension and an amount of wind and all that you know, physics and all that stuff that I, just, I didn't study in school. And, and so flying a kite should be easy, but it's not. Everything has to be what? perfect. You got to have perfect circumstances and perfect tension and perfect execution. And I wonder sometimes with our peace of mind, if we think about it, does it feel like flying a kite that everything has to be perfect in order for us to have peace? Think about your life right now and everything that's going on. And and we're just thinking, gosh, if everything was just so, then I would be able to take a deep breath. Then I'd be at peace. The funny thing about flying a kite is once you get it up in the air, too, what happens? The kid is just like, "Uh uh-huh, cool, now what? Right? All that blood, sweat, and tears, and swearing to get it up in the air, and then your kid just looks at it and is like, all right, Dad, cool, now what? And sometimes I think we get into a moment of peace, and and we're kind of like, okay, what's next? We're in a peaceful moment. We finally got in the zone, and then we're just unfulfilled. And so our lives are just confronted with these seasons and times and moments where we're struggling and needing to experience the peace of Jesus, right? We need the peace of Jesus because when you walk out those doors, what do you encounter? Fear, insecurity, doubt, anxiety, stress, conflict, difficulty, suffering, right? We've got all kinds of things. And, and so we're, we're wrestling with, well, how do we cope and how do we relax and how do we find that peace of mind? How do we get through all of this? And so today is about experiencing the peace that Jesus came to bring and a peace that should reside not just around us, but within us. Jesus came to bring peace. John 14 says this. John 14, 27, the apostle John writes this as Jesus is saying it to the apostles. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace... I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. So Jesus is telling us that he's bringing peace into our lives. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. But the peace that Jesus brings is different than the peace of this world. Right? So there's a difference to the peace of Jesus and the peace of our world. And I wonder if a lot of times when we hear the word peace, we just think that it's all synonymous. It's all the same. We don't really think of the distinctions between the two different things. And yet there is a difference. It's kind of like when you uh, go to the gas station and you're looking at all those fuels, right? You go to the gas station, you see unleaded, regular, 
And then what do you see? Premium and Premium Ultra and Tecron. What the heck is Tecron, right? And why do I need Tecron? And you're wondering, like, is this going to help the performance? Is it worth the cost? And I look at all of those gases and think, it's the same. And I wonder if when we look at peace, we just kind of look at peace and we think it's all the same. It's all similar. And if, if we don't see the differences, well, then why do I want it? Why do I want Tecron? Why do I want ultra premium, amazing, incredible? I know diesel's wrong. Don't put diesel in my car. I know that one. In fact, they create the nozzle for people like me to not put it in there. But is it worth the cost? Is it worth it? Is the peace of Jesus versus the peace of this world, is it worth the difference in cost? Is it worth the pursuit? And so let's take a moment just to compare the peace of Jesus with the peace of this world. The peace of this world, we see an example of this in the Christmas story when Jesus' birth is announced and King Herod at the time is ruling over this region. He finds out about it. And in Matthew chapter 2, this is Herod's response when he finds out about the birth of a new king. In Matthew chapter 2, verse 3, it says, when, Herod, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. He is disturbed. He's bothered. He's unsettled. Why? Because his kingdom is about to get turned upside down. It's being disrupted. He's about to, and potentially going to lose his kingdom because he's just heard this news that a new king has been born. You see, and what we see in Herod is something that I think we see in ourselves, which is that our kingdom, our, 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 our establishment, our security, our um, bank accounts, our life, our livelihoods, all of those things become the, the foundation of our peace. And when that is going to be disrupted, when that is going to be bothered, when there is going to be conflict with my established kingdom, well, now I'm unsettled. Now I don't have peace. Herod's unsettled because his kingdom is going to be uh, shaken a little bit. And we feel that same tension within us when our foundation, our kingdoms, that we are building are going to be disrupted. I mean, think about the, the Christmas carol, God rest ye merry gentlemen, right? It's all about rest and finding rest. And that we would find what? Comfort and joy. How many of us establish rest as just, I want comfort and I want joy, right? I was listening to this car, or listening to this song in the car with my kids and our nine-year-old asked, what does it mean conquer and joy? I don't understand. What does it mean that God, rest you merry gentlemen, we want conquer and joy. Conquer? No, it's comfort. We strive for comfort, kiddo, right? We want life to be easy. We want comfort zones and ease and tranquility and all of this. And when that's going to be disrupted, think of our responses a lot like Herod, right? We work to create security blankets that'll get us through those disruptive times. For example, if we were going to see a financial recession coming, what would we do? We'd be investing in our savings. We'd be investing in our, in our financial plans and our security blankets of sort so that we could weather this storm of financial uh, uproar or recession or difficulty or unknown. Sometimes to find peace, we build that security blanket. Other times to find peace, what do we do? We distract from the disruption that could be happening. We pursue distractions to numb our pain or uh, avoid our pain, escape from our pain, to ignore what we're really feeling. And so we try to find ways to escape that. 
It's like going on vacation. You ever go on vacation to get away from your problems? We got a lot of tension at work. If I just go on vacation, I'm going to come back and everything's going to be better. Oh, you know what, honey? We're just like this all the time. You know what we need? A week in Mexico. That'll fix everything, right? Alone, where we can't go be away from each other. We need to just spend an entire week forever together. Yeah, that'll... No, we sometimes go on vacation to escape our problems and then come back home and our problems are still there. We didn't find the peace we were looking for. How many of us, like Herod, try to control the situation? We have a disruption to our kingdom on the horizon and we try to fix the problem, eliminate the problem so that I can just find peace. That's what Herod does. When you know this story, what does he try to do? Right? He tries to manipulate the wise men who are going to go visit Jesus, a little baby Jesus, right? What does he do? Oh, go find him and then come back and tell me all about it. And he's trying to manipulate them, right? He's trying to control the situation. And then what does he do? He enacts a decree to have infant genocide take place and kill all the little babies. Why? Because he's trying to control his kingdom and to control the problem and eliminate the problem. And how many of us, when it comes to a possible disruption to our comfort zone, to our peace, to our kingdom peace, to the peace of this world, we try to control everything. Maybe we don't run away and escape. Maybe we don't try to create security blankets. How many of us are the control freaks that try to control everything? And, figure, and we try to control everything that we can have in our control, whether it's our task list or our work list or our clean house. How many of you think, well, everything else is a mess. Let's clean our house. If I have a clean house, I'll have peace of mind. We try to control our kids. We try to control our honeydew lists. We try to control our spouse or our employees And we try to exercise this control because I think at our core, we think if we eliminate the problems and the messes and the stresses, well, then I will find peace. Funny enough, we try to control things that are ultimately out of our control. Herod's trying to control something, a narrative that he is out of control with. Herod is not going to stop Jesus being king. Think about that. Does Herod have any control over the situation of Jesus becoming the king? No. But he's going to try. And how many of us are trying to control things that are ultimately out of our control? Trying to control our people problems, trying to control our issues, our projects, our stresses, our messes, all of these things. We're trying to control these things. And what I ultimately think at the core of what's happening for Herod and for myself, and many of you could probably relate to this, is that I think perfection equals peace. Just like the kite analogy, that I equate perfection with peace. And that the peace of this world is a lack of conflict, or it's about perfection. But this idea of peace, this peace of the world that is about perfection, is really unattainable, unreachable. It is impossible to truly experience. Will I ever have a lack of problems? Will I ever have a lack of conflict with people in my life? Will I ever reach perfection? No. The answer is no to all of those. Right? And yet somehow we keep churning, we keep working, and we keep being unsettled, striving for a piece of this world to eliminate all of that and find peace. And yet Jesus came to bring a peace that's different than the peace of this world. It's not about perfection. Contrast the peace 
that Herod is unsettled about, the peace of this world, with the peace that Mary experiences. When the angel arrives and tells Mary everything that is about to happen, and we see this in Luke chapter 1, verse 30, and then you skip down to Mary's response in verse 46 and 47. Look at Mary and the peace of God that she's exuding in this moment. It says, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. Do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. And this is her response in verse 46. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary is this little teenage girl about to be just totally outcast and marginalized to go through all the pains of pregnancy and isolation because everyone's going to think she's a teen mom and all of these things. Her life is going to get turned upside down and yet her response is what? It's one that exudes a maturity and a peace, a stability. She's experiencing a peace of Jesus in that moment. To be able to do what? To worship God, to glorify Him, to honor Him. Like, that's the maturity, is that in the face of all of this disruption, she doesn't freak out like Herod does. She says, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Because we begin to see that a true peace from God is not based on our circumstances. It's not about perfection. We see this in the Psalms. In Psalm 4.8, the psalmist writes so poetically, I will lie down and sleep in peace. Doesn't it remind you of Silent Night? Sleep in heavenly peace. Way to finish it. I was waiting. You're going to leave me out there to dry. I will lie down and sleep in peace for you alone, O Lord. Make me dwell in safety. That sounds nice. That sounds hallmarky, Doesn't it? Oh, I lay at peace. I dwell in safety. And then you read the verses around this in chapter 4. And he's at war. He's running from his enemies. He's in true conflict. There's threats on his life. He has enemies. I mean, true enemies that want to destroy him. I, don't, I, I mean, I have conflict, but I don't have enemies. Right? I don't have people wanting to kill me. I don't have the kind of division and suffering that he's struggling with. And yet the author is able to, in the midst of all of that writing about, God, you're going through this with me, and blah, blah, blah. And he's able to say, I sleep in peace. I struggle to sleep when there's a mess in my living room. Yeah, exactly. That's how silly it sounds. I can't fall asleep sometimes because there's a mess in my living room. And yet this guy is at war and sleeping in peace. Because the peace of Jesus is not determined or dependent upon my circumstances. That you and I can experience a wholeness, a completeness, a a confidence in the peace of Jesus. That transcends what you're walking into when you leave this place. I was thinking about a time in my own life where I experienced the peace of Jesus. And it was about nine years ago. Uh... And I think of a season of my life where April was pregnant with our second daughter, and uh, we were going through a whole world of change. Not only was she pregnant, uh, we had just resigned from our positions at a job, uh, full-time positions at a church, which meant goodbye paycheck, goodbye benefits, goodbye health care, goodbye all of that. Uh, we had a baby on the way, which was exciting, but we had no health care insurance, so that was a little daunting and overwhelming. Uh, We had just transitioned churches, so how many of you know when you're changing churches, that's a really peaceful time, 
right? Trying to fit in with a new church and find friends and really just feeling alone. I didn't know where I was going to work. I didn't know how we were going to pay for things. Uh, Our apartment at the time was also our lease was coming up. And I knew we either had to renew the lease or we had to find a new place to live. And that's stressful. So we have all these things stacked against us. And yet when I look back at that season of our life, I don't characterize it by fear or anxiety or insecurity. I look at it and I can, I can firmly and, and resolutely describe that season of my life, much like that song, that we were able to be at peace. A steadiness in heart and in mind where I've really felt the strength in my faith, that the faith that I had in Jesus, that he had us in his grip in that season. There were a lot of unknowns and a lot of unpredictable facets and a lot of stresses and messes around us. And yet in the midst of all of that, we had a peace of mind. And I, I can only say that that came from God. Because everything tangible didn't seem to make sense. And I thought about that story and I was encouraged. And, and maybe it encourages somebody here today. But then I was wondering about today. Why is it that the story I thought of was nine years ago? How many of you need peace today? Not just a decade ago. Oh, remember that one time I experienced the peace of God? I need the peace of God now. How many of you have needed the peace of God in the last two years? We talk about uncertainty, unknown, chaos, failure, letdown, hurt, pain, fear. And now we're in the holidays. Hallelujah, I need the peace of Jesus right now. I need the peace of God today, not just nine years ago. So how do we experience peace with with Jesus within ourselves today? We're going to spend a moment looking at the passage that Brandon read in Philippians chapter 4 because the Apostle Paul is going to talk about peace. In his letter to the Philippian church, he writes about this peace that we can uh, experience with Jesus. In verse 7, He talks about the very peace that we're talking about, how it's different than that of the world. And I love the way he poetically writes about this peace. Again, giving us a picture of the peace that Jesus brings us. He says in verse 7, he says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So the peace of Jesus is going to transcend my understanding. Meaning what? It's not going to make sense. Why in the world are you at peace right now? Somebody's going to look at your story and be like, why are you calm? Why are you confident? Why are you not freaking out and pulling your hair out? Because the peace of Jesus won't make sense. What else do we see about the peace of Jesus as Paul describes it? It's going to guard. It's like armor. It's going to guard your heart and your mind. Meaning that the peace of Jesus, when we experience it, it's going to protect my heart. It's going to protect my feelings, my emotions. It's going to to be like the shell that, that, that armors me. My minds and my thoughts. Because my feelings, my thoughts can sometimes be a battleground in unsettled times. In chaotic times, in uncertain times. And yet... We can experience a peace that will protect it, protect my thoughts, protect my my feelings. See, it's this peace that we experience within 
not just circumstantial exterior peace. There's a peace that we experience within us. And as we experience this peace, Paul says what in verse 5 and verse 9? It is that the Lord is near and that the God of peace will be with you. So he begins to describe this peace as well, not just something that we feel and we experience and that doesn't always make sense to us, but it's a sign to us that God is with you. The song Emmanuel that we sing at Christmas time translates Emmanuel as what? God with us. So when we experience the peace of God, it is a reminder to us that God is with us. He hasn't left us. Now, as he talks about the peace, does it say that the peace of God is going to change your circumstances and make it all better? It is a rhetorical question, but you can answer in the correct form, which is, no, it does not say anything in that text that was read in chapter 4, that if I have the peace of God, all of a sudden my bank account is going to go up. If I have the peace of God, I will be the prom king. Everything is going to be awesome, and everyone's going to love me as a people pleaser. I wish that that was the truth. The peace of Jesus changes my heart and my mind, not my circumstance. It's not going to change everything out there, but it will change in here. So, if I want the peace of God in my mind, the peace of mind that I can experience with Jesus, I think where it starts is asking ourselves the question, where is your mind? Where is your thought life? Because that's what Paul begins to really dig in on in verse 8. If it's this inner peace that we're striving for, and not this nirvana of uh, of, of a Buddhist culture, but we're talking about this inner resolute confidence, wholeness that does transcend our circumstances and, and is not just, oh man, everything's good with me. It is this peace that we experience within. Paul says, well, where's your mind? Where's your thoughts? You want peace of mind? Where is your mind? Verse 8, look at this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. This is where our minds need to be. You want the peace of Jesus, well, where is your mind? It needs to be on these things, things that are true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. That's where our minds need to be. I don't know if you're like me. This is not my, my mental default. Anybody like that in the room? My mental default at times is the glass is half empty. This is what we got to work on. This is what needs to get better. I can be an Eeyore. Right? Remember Winnie the Pooh? I can be an Eeyore at times. And I know it doesn't seem like I would be. I'm just such a pleasant, happy person. But if you're around me enough, you will see, like... All right, Sean. And I'm just peeling back the curtain because I want you to see that just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that I've got this thing perfectly figured out. I needed this instruction just as much as any of us do that Paul says, where is your mind? Put it on what is what? True, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. And I want you in this moment to think about your current life and moment and season that you're in and what would you describe, what would fit those descriptions right now? Don't, don't yell it out, but I want you to think for yourself the tangible, the intangible, the physical, the spiritual, the relational, the emotional. What, what areas of your life, what is true? What is noble? 
What is lovely? What is pure? What is right? Tell me something that is admirable. Write down something that is excellent or praiseworthy. To think about that because we need this kind of push to keep our mind thinking on what is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. That's what Paul's pushing us towards. He's giving us some pro tips on how to be positive. Anybody get pro tips before from a professional of something? My golf game needs a lot of pro tips. I once went golfing with a guy that was kind of a professional. And he could see every time that I would swing, I would lift my head. I would twist my hips a certain way. I would, you know, kind of Charles Barkley this thing and just kind of go. And he could see the way the club was hitting the ball. And his pro tips, they helped. But I need a lot of pro tips. (laughs) And I still do. But when you have somebody else from the outside looking in, they can kind of see all the variables that you can't see. Paul is on the outside looking in to the Philippian church and saying, hey, here's some pro tips for you. He knows a little bit about the peace of Jesus. This is a guy that knows what it's like to be in chaos. Somebody that left the ultra-conservative Jewish religion that he was a part of, this section of religious base that he was trained under and grew up in, he left that. You think that's chaotic? He went to go be with the apostles of the early church, even though they didn't believe him. They thought maybe he was a, a wolf in sheep, sheep's clothing, right? But he still integrated in. That's chaotic. That's uncertain. This guy pioneered the early church, preached to his enemies, was threatened, was shipwrecked, was beaten, was tortured, was abandoned. And even as he's writing this passage that we all have probably seen on our Facebook pages about the peace of God that transcends all understanding. Where was he when he wrote this? He's in prison. This is a pro telling us about peace. He's looking at our lives and saying, hey guys, this is how we can experience the peace of Jesus. And he gives us some practical pro tips for positive peace. You like that? It alliterates. You'll stick with it then, right? Plus, it's more divine if it all starts with the same letter. Paul's practical pro tips and seeing the positive and experiencing peace. Ready, set, go. First one is our past. In verse 5, he says to rejoice. He says to be thankful for what God has done. He says in verse 9 to remember what we've learned, what we've seen, what we've received. To think back on our past and see where God has been active. I told you a story from nine years ago. What has God been doing? How far back do you need to go? I don't know. That's, that's up to you. You can go a week ago. You can go months ago. You can go years ago, right? But it's this idea of we look back and we rejoice. We are thankful. We are remembering what God has said and done and been active in our lives. Why is this important? Well, hindsight for me, I don't know about you, hindsight for me is usually pretty clear. 2020, I can see it clearly. Not the year, I mean with clarity of vision, 2020. 2020, we're going to process that years from now. But, but when I look back on situations, then I can look back and I can usually see, yeah, that's where God spoke. That's what Jesus was up to. I didn't always get it in the moment, but I see what God was saying. I see what God was doing. And as I look back, I'm able to identify what Paul is describing. I'm able to see the truth. Yeah, that truly was God. I'm able to see the pure. I'm able to see the praiseworthy. I'm able to see the good and the admirable that God was doing in my past. We have to look into the past and see what God has been up to. 
That gets my thoughts on what Paul is describing. The second thing that Paul highlights is we got to focus, and as weird as this sounds, we've got to focus on our problems. That seems counterintuitive to focus on our problems. But in verse 6, he says to, he says to be anxious about nothing and pray about everything. So to experience the peace of God, we've got to focus on the past, but we've also got to focus on our problems. Bringing your problems to him, asking him for what you want to see him do in your life. That's not a bad thing. Because when I do that, what am I doing? I'm letting go. When I am looking at my life and praying about everything, everything that's stressing me out, every stress and every mess, when I bring those things to Jesus, I'm saying, Jesus, I need you to fix these things, not me. And so I'm running to the one who is true, who is admirable, who is excellent. I'm not running to myself. I'm not fixing it on my own. I'm not like Herod in that case. But instead, I'm bringing all of these things and saying, God, I need you to do it. And I'm running to the one who fits those character traits that Paul lists off. That his character is true. His power is excellent. His love is praiseworthy. He fits those descriptions, and he's the one I run to with all of my problems. And then thirdly, to experience the peace of God, right? Paul's practical pro tips for seeing positive and experiencing peace. Try to say that a few times. He focuses on a practice, that we do it. Verse 9, he says, to take what we've learned, seen, and received, and put it into practice. Put it into practice. We've got to do it. We've got to live it out. And this is where we move from head and heart to hands. We live this stuff out. It's where we shift into the action. Because obedience is important. Paul is pointing out this link between the peace of Jesus and the obedience of following Him. That we experience peace internally when I'm following Him, worshiping Him, praying to Him, living for Him. And that my actions at that point are not just my own, but they're his because he's directing those steps. And I'm trying to do what he has taught and said and instructed me to do. He's saying, take what you've learned, take what you've seen, take what you've received, and put it into practice. So instead of running into the same patterns of my past, I'm putting into practice something new. I practice that obedience, and then my actions at that point are fitting those very descriptions that Paul gives us. I'm living in a way that is pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. We need the peace of Jesus in our life. And a peace of Jesus that transcends our understanding, transcends our circumstances. We need to experience this. Jesus came to bring peace. That's the whole point of this Christmas series is that Jesus came to bring peace Peace with God, peace within ourselves. And I want us to experience that because it's going to be really hard to live a lifestyle of peace and show peace to somebody else if I'm unsettled within. Can I pray for us? I'm going to pray for us. If you want more information on Hub City Church, find us at thehubcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening. 